0: I think on the whole, most fruit and veg is substitutable. And, you know, whether it's a peach salad, but you can use nectarines and grill the nectarines instead, or, you know, it doesn't need to be white nectarines, you can use yellow nectarines. Um, There are very few non-substitutable products. um, And the ones that are non-substitutable, you'll know, because they're things like avocado.
1: When did fruit become so fraught? Our guest today is Tan Truong, a second generation fruiter and author of a new book, Don't Buy Fruit and Veg Without Me. Tan is the self-confessed fruit nerd, that's him on Instagram, and he knows fruit inside and out, or should we say sprout to pip or skin to core I don't know he knows what went wrong with bananas and how to choose a good avocado and it is great to have him on the show today Tan welcome thanks for having me Danny so good to chat to you. Always great to connect with your joyful spirit. Um, tell us about life as the fruit nerd. What 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 do you do day to day? Well, I am a
0: second generation wholesale fruiterer and I get up very early in the morning, like 2 a.m. in the morning. And um, that's when all the fruiterers come to the central markets around Australia and, around, and in Victoria here. Um, and all the fruit stores come, get their produce and go back to the stores and set up before everybody has even wakened to the morning sunrise. So I'm basically in connection and talking to the growers every day, receiving stock, turning over stock. But my work as the fruit nerd is my passion to educate consumers to eat better because I believe that good food starts with good produce.
1: Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more. And we love talking about produce here on Dirty Linen, but also on my producer's podcast. It is so important, but it feels like fruit is an area where things have gone a little bit awry. I mean, what have you seen over the course of your life? You know, what's different for you now as a fruit eater than it was perhaps for your dad and and your dad's dad?
0: Yeah, well, I, I write in the book that, you know, not just half a century ago, 50 years ago, consumers and the way that Aussies got fruit and veg was vastly different to today. Um, Farmers had a much stronger connection to consumers. Um, Seasonality was a real thing because there weren't things that would the industry hadn't developed all year round supply. Um, And so, the connection that we had to fruit and veg was very different we often ate what was in our backyard or grown in our suburb or nearby um, and we didn't really have the variety that we have today so understanding the lessons of history will allow us to understand what our food system life is like today and hopefully a way in which we can hope to change it in the future whatever that may be and my book goes in in a, in detail in terms of how I'd like the world to change, and that is for consumers to start using their senses again to pick good eating produce, not necessarily the best looking produce.
1: I mean, we are so conditioned to look for, you know, the perfect apple, you know, the 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 paragon tomato, you know, the 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 banana that looks like, you know, look like it's from a storybook. I mean why have we been trained like that and and how do we start to unpick that training?
0: Yeah, that you know that's a fascinating question and the real answer to that is it's twofold. So we in lieu of our lack of knowledge of what will taste good, we overuse our senses which is our eyes and our our basic instinct is to look for something that isn't ruined or isn't molding or broken because it might have insects in it or for whatever reason so we overuse our eyes as the stimuli to pick produce now over time not just the supermarkets but fruit stores and anybody that's involved in the industry have leaned more towards that have then pushed and pressured growers to have more grading have more pesticides have more um uh, of a of a process to eliminate ugly looking fruit and over time the supply base and the consumer base has led, led us to this point in time now where all produce is graded uniformly so that we have the same experience when we go into the store um, but that lack of knowledge just continues today and so Um, you know, to unpick that, we need to empower ourselves with the knowledge of what is actually happening to a piece of fruit. Now, um, I don't know about you, Danny, but when I walk into a fruit store, I treat and I feel as though the fruit and veg is alive. Do you have that feeling?
1: Oh, that is a really... That is a really good question. I, I it dep- Honestly, it depends where I am. I'd say if I'm at a beautiful farm gate, I would say yes. And if I'm at the supermarket where it's under the lights and it's all racked up uniformly, even that it's got those little um, shapes for the food to nestle in, you know, where it has to, you know, it has to fit in its clothes or it doesn't get on the shelf. I feel like I don't have that being-to-being connection. Yeah. Um, so, I'd say it's it's contextual.
0: Right. I, I I like that. I love that. And that's, you know, the environment in which we shop definitely changes our mood and how we see things, right? But uh, from a fruiterist perspective, imagine you're you're standing, I mean, I grew up in a fruit store and I used to run down the aisles and cause all kinds of trouble for my parents. But, you know, I watch as... Bananas come from green and turn yellow and from turn yellow to black within one day or leafy veg that is bright in the morning become very whittled at night. So as a fruiterer who watches your produce become that perishable and almost to waste within days or day you know, or maybe even within hours, the thing that I hate most is food waste. Um, Because we would see it more than anybody else, you know, people might think that, yes, you know, we've got, you know, 30% food wastage in our fridge and, and, and in our pantry, which is true, but it's nothing like watching produce basically die. So, for me, fruit is alive, and I, and I respect it in that way. And so when I respect it in that way, I like to use all of my senses, not just my eyes but my nose, to smell if things are telling me to eat it, um, sometimes to knock on certain fruits like watermelons to see if there's a crack in it or a bruise in it, um, or to even use the sense of sound um, for durian where you, know, you can tell if it's mature or not. We can use our other senses um, like weight, so, if something is heavy, certainly something like an orange or a mandarin, there's going to be a less opportunity that that mandarin or orange is going to have uh, a dry pulp, which is called granulation. Um, so, I've just mentioned basically four senses without having taste, because obviously you can't you can't eat it and then buy it. <laughs> I wish we could have that, but that's 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 how I see the world. And so, um, my fruit nerd passion comes from having the connections within the industry to find the answers um, first and foremost as a consumer um, and then as a fruiterer.
1: Wow, you know, when you talk about it like that and that fruit being alive and changing so quickly, it, you know, the, the job of selling it Feels suddenly very urgent, you know that you really need people to to come through to to trust that it's going to be good to pick it up and buy it that day and hopefully use it quickly as well. I mean, it, it's it's actually quite demoralising to think about, you know, that you you know that this stuff is is spoiling before your eyes. Um, I mean, of course, sometimes it's ripening and just becoming it's you know, at its very best. But um, yeah, it's 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 a really tricky one, isn't it? Because as consumers, we're all, we also expect. You know, we don't mind if there's perhaps, a you know, a, a section out the front of discounted fruit, but we want everything that we see in the store to be absolutely perfect. And we do have this unrealistic expectation that we can get we can just, you know, think abstractly, come up with a recipe and a shopping list, and go in and find whatever we want any time of year. Um, it's a real, it's a real struggle to meet to find a meeting place between expectations that are sometimes unrealistic and the realities of stocking a shop that looks bountiful but isn't um, prone to wasting half the stuff on the shelves. But,
0: you're right, and you know, you said a few things there that you know really pulled my heartstring, which is most people or most most of us will, will shop for a recipe um and the inflexibility of the ingredients the inflexibility of you know maybe um for some reason cauliflower is not doing so well and the recipe is cauliflower and you know it's easy to substitute that with broccoli but in the moment people might not be thinking about that or they might be thinking this is not going to work and they don't have the confidence in the kitchen or for whatever reason but Um, shopping for a recipe for me, I think is one of the things that 50 years ago it was done, but not to that extent. You know, my parents walked into a fruit store, um, or they had a fruit store, but they'd walk into a supermarket say, and when something was looking good, they would have the, they would check to see if it was good quality. And, you know, most of the time it would be maybe in good value and they would purchase based on what was good in the moment, not good as a recipe. And I think the reverse is of that today where we don't no longer, we're we're too inflexible to our ideas and also our skill set so that when we walk in, we're not taking advantage of maybe something that is in season or maybe something that is good in that moment. And I have the great example of right now, Blueberries are the best I've ever eaten in my entire life. And I am an absolute obsessive compulsive person when it comes to blueberries. They're great in value and they're eating phenomenally. Except it's not blueberry season. So it's just an anomaly that there's been a very strong warm winter and that all the blueberry bushes are flushing right now. So for for somebody to kind of say oh let's go eat blueberries in summer that's probably likely not going to be the case now because those bushes are now very tired and so when it comes to summertime they're going to be yielding less crop and so I always think of this idea of the produce of the moment and I don't believe in seasonality for that reason because I believe within a season there can be good periods and bad periods depending on the weather and that's very hyper focused but I think that if you think in this way then when you walk into a fruit store or wherever you purchase your fruit and veg, whether that be supermarkets or a farmer's market, you'll start to use your senses more and you'll start to, um, you'll start to have confidence that you're going to walk in and you're going to find something or the best thing that there is at that moment um, rather than listening to you know, a, a generic seasonally, seasonally you know, a promotional uh, produce line, which um, is more used as a marketing term. in in my opinion. Yeah,
1: that's really interesting. I mean, and blueberries are are an interesting example. I I suppose there's a couple of things, like Australia is massive and produce does travel far and wide, so we do have different seasons in different parts of the country all at once. Blueberries particularly, you know, I guess a lot of people – suddenly planted blueberries and there's probably too many blueberry farmers so i don't know that's probably got something to do with it i have been buying blueberries by the truckload right now because they are really good um but like so Tana, let me ask you i've got a puzzler for you and this is something you know that's happened to me in the last few days my kids love apples um they've been asking for apples and i haven't been buying them because i know that they're not in season uh i know that the ones that are on the shelves now have been, you know, preserved um, in sheds with, I think it's argon that they use to reduce the oxidation. Like, what's your position on some of these technologies that um, give us fruit all year round? You you know, am I allowed to buy apples for my apple-loving kids?
0: You certainly can. And um, it's not argon. Argon is what is used to preserve wine. Um, It's a reduction in the amount of oxygen in the air. So the air that we breathe has about 20% oxygen. And in these cold storage facilities, um, the oxygen is reduced to about 1%. So the respiration of the apple slows down. So if you think of it as a hyperbaric time chamber, it's slowing down its breakdown. Um, I spoke to the CSIRO, and part of me being the fruit nerd, I love to talk to the specialist, whether it's agriculture, Victoria, or, you know, a researcher, um, the CSIRO have been really good at trying to explain a lot of these kinds of technicalities to me so that, um, I can understand it as a fruiterer and give confidence to consumers. Now, apples will not lose any nutritional value. Beyond nine months or up to nine months, and then it loses some nutritional value beyond nine months. But in terms of the eating experience, there will be a dream, you know, every month that it's kept in cold storage, it's going to start to lose some of its crunchiness, it's going to start to lose some of its moisture. And for me, the zing, the zing, which is that sour, crunchy pop that you get. But you know, in my opinion, I would, I would. I believe that most apples eat good for about six months after harvest. So the harvest period is around April to May. So you're probably going to start to see the drop-off in quality around now. And um, I always say that it's a dramatic uh, quality drop here in Australia because of the fact that we are heading into spring and summer, which means mangoes, stone fruit, cherries and all the berries and so apple consumption does decrease a little bit but then also the quality does decrease so your children can still eat apples our children can still eat apples um and the fact that we do have them available is you know we take it for granted every day and um you know even though this romantic notion of seasonality is lost i think um, sparingly eating it, but appreciating the technologies that have been developed so that we can have an apple pie when we want it. Um, that's still something to celebrate, I think.
1: You've talked about that confidence when people are shopping to a recipe and it's, it's in, it made me think of something, another story I've done recently about Vic Market and chatting to one of the seafood traders there, George Malonis. He spoke about the difference now uh, compared to a few decades ago when people would come in, they'd buy fish for the week for a larger family, they'd buy four kilos of whatever was looking good and then they would just do something with it. Whereas now people are coming in with their recipe for, you know, for two people or for four people that they know they want kingfish and they, you know, they want 400 grams for their recipe. And it's just a completely different way of purchasing. And I think that's what that's sort of what you're pointing to with fruit as well or fruit and veg. I mean, is that part of what you're trying to do with your book is to, empower people to look, regard the produce in front of them and respond to it rather than walk in with a fixed idea about what's going to end up in their shopping bag. Absolutely. And and I I liken it to cooking.
0: You know, I only really started heavily cooking when I left home and as a newbie you don't feel confident in the kitchen you heavily rely on the recipe and then over time as you cook more and more and more you start to get a little bit of confidence and you start to get a little bit of um you know uh the fear is lost in terms of uh you know adding i'm just gonna add salt as i go and and sugar and not worry about it and just taste as i go and um the same is when you shop you know if you're not if you if if you're only aware of eating bok choy, then you're never going to experience the whole spectrum of Asian leafy veg. And um, and I'm so strongly passionate about this because the brassica family is so large, yet bok choy still takes up 80% of all of the consumption of Asian veg. But there is no fear in trying another veg that only will cost you $1 or $1.50 um, the worst thing you're going to have is an experience, one meal that you don't like the leafy veg part of it, but it could open your mind. Um, and I'm not talking about like Pak Choi or like Choi Sum. You know, you can go for something completely out there like water spinach, which is in my book, um, which, is, which is one of my favorite veg. Or, um, you know, go for like Chinese cauliflower, Um, which is marketed in in different circles as Collini now, um, they're all just substitutes. They're very similar. And I think on the whole, most fruit and veg is substitutable. And, you know, whether it's a peach salad, but you can use nectarines and grill the nectarines instead, or, you know, it doesn't need to be white nectarines. You can use yellow nectarines. Um, There are very few non-substitutable products um and the ones that are non-substitutable you'll know because they're things like avocado which (laughs) you're not going to find another avocado to spread another another fruit on your, your your bread so um i think that i hope that well i don't think i hope that the book is able to give consumers a little bit more confidence a little bit more background um and some real science and practicality to some of these Which a lot of the time are just generally myths. But if you understand the science behind it, you really understand the fruit's anatomy, its physiology, what's happening to it as it's breaking down, and how it was harvested from the tree, and the best ways to actually eat it as well.
1: Mm. Yeah, let's talk about avocados because you are the man to chat avocados with. So I know that you used to work as a buyer for Coles and you bought like a third or something of the avocados in the whole country. Uh, so I feel like you, you've you probably tasted uh, more avocados than most of us. Um, they are such a love hate fruit you know you want them but you open them up so often they are not good you're just scraping around the bruises Um, one of my kids is so fussy if there's you know a hint of a bruise the whole avocado is anathema to her Um, what do we need to know about avocados
0: yeah thanks for that description yes I did eat a lot of avocados I I did purchase a third of Australia's avocados and um, in doing so I purchased avocados from Queensland from New South South Wales, Victoria, tri-state region, Western Australia, New Zealand. Um, It was small sizes, large sizes, reeds, avos, Hass, warts. And I must admit that when I first started eating them every day for quality control purposes, of course, um, I didn't know what to look for. But when you you eat something every day, you become very sensitive to very small changes in the produce. And so in this case, I could definitely tell avocados that were more nutty and oily than others. And, uh, it came from this very specific moment where, um, we had run out of very large size avocados, which is usually a call to count 18, 20 or 23, which is 18 in a tray. Um, and the smaller size avocados which are half the size and they're usually pre-bagged and the small avocados were very green and i could never get them to ripen up even with the best of my abilities and with the entire distribution center managing it um and it was because of what i was told is nutty flavor and i determined that nutty flavor comes from the nut now that sounds so obvious and stupid but nobody ever actually thinks. it. (laughs) I'm so sorry to say that. It sounds so silly, but it's, it's so true. And when you cut an avocado in half and look at the avocado, you can see that the closer the flesh is to the nut, the more yellow it is. And the further away, the flesh is from the nut. It gets closer to the green skin, which has that very herbaceous leafy um, flavor. Um, So there's two kinds of flavors in an avocado, the oily, nutty flavor and the kind of earthy tone. Now, small avocados have a tiny nut or seed, very minimal contact to it. And so they generally always eat far greener. And when, when I mean greener, it's almost like the flavor of an unripe avocado. Have you ever cut an avocado that's been unripe before, Danny?
1: Oh, t- always. And you're just, you're like, surely this is going to be okay. It feels a bit firm, but that's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be, oh, no. <laughs> and then there's nowhere to go with that, right?
0: That's right. Yeah. Now, now the, the thing, the tip that I can give all consumers is that all avocados in Australia are ripened, which means that they're picked green and then there are, uh, Put in a room and there's ethylene in the room and it's been heated up to about 18 degrees because at 18 degrees the fruit will absorb the ethylene and the plant or the fruit will then start its maturation process which is the ripening process so that's before any of the fruit even hits the market or the shelves so by the time it hits the shelves it's starting to get soft. Now, the problem and the issue that we all have is that we squeeze around the waist of the avocado, but that's inadvertently bruising the avocado for when they become ripe. So if you pick an avocado that is slightly firm or hard and that you know somebody who's picked it up wouldn't have squeezed it because it's firm, that avocado is going to be soft within 24 to 36 hours or at, you know, even if the weather is really cold, within 72 hours, it's going to be ripe because it's already been set off. But if you pick an avocado that is soft already, there is an extremely high chance and the avocado industry did research to show that nearly every piece of ripe avocado on the shelf has been handled 10 times by a consumer before you actually buy it. And so that is why when the avocado becomes ripe, like really soft, and you pick a soft avocado in the shop, because we want to eat it that day, of course. We have that terrible experience of it being bruised and a bit, you know, sploshy inside. So my tip is to purchase avocados for the next day or the day after. Now, if you must buy an avocado for that day, which most of us will want to, then gently touch the top where the stem area is, because if you only touch that area, that's the only part that's going to be gently bruised, but also, that is the furthest point from the nut. So, if that part is a bit soft and gives, then the entire fruit is ripe.
1: Yeah, but what about the other nine people that already squeezed it?
0: Well, yes, you want to pick one that is slightly not too soft, right? So, it's still a little bit firm. So, anytime that you pick something that's going to be very ripe, it's most likely going to be mishandled unless that fruit has only just hit the shelf and it's already ripe.
1: Okay, so I think I'm going to have to get them from underneath.
0: <laughs> if you get them from underneath, you'll never have a bad experience because um, nobody has ever touched it since it was packed into the tray <laughs> and when it was packed into the tray, it was firm. So, that's my tip for avocados. So, <laughs> I hope everybody <laughs>
1: – Yeah, this is the information that I need.
0: Well, D- Danny, I've got, a, I've, got a, I've, I've got a great line for you and it will prove my fact. All of the restaurateurs and the chefs – that receive avocados in the restaurant, I would bet $100 that not one piece has ever been bruised because nobody's ever touched any of that fruit in the trays. Whilst the ones that you purchase in the stores, they are bruised. So, you know, that's a a good question for you to ask next time if you're if you really want to get down to the avocado business. (laughs)
1: Well, yeah. I mean, its I have actually wondered that because, you know, obviously there's smashed avo, there's lots of avo in sushi, and you just think, how are these guys dealing with the trauma of um, opening up their sad avocados? But maybe, yeah, they're not. They're having avocado joy every day of the week.
0: Avocado joy. I love it.
1: (laughs) Um, There's just one last thing I want to touch on, and that's bananas. I just – Every time I eat a banana, I just cannot believe that there is a food that is so amazing and so different from other foods. Like, the texture of a banana, like, how are we so lucky as humans to be able to engage with that?
0: Oh, you know, I write in the book that um, the Cavendish banana, with all of its issues, is the most underrated fruit in in society. Um, And it's because that a 100 years ago – and even, even now, I, I recently went to Melbourne University to pick a, a um, cool banana, which is an African variety from, from the palm, and literally it was green turning yellow, and the next day it was yellow turning black, and the day after, I literally had to freeze every banana, but for some reason, the Cavendish can last so long. You can put it in kids' lunch boxes. It can rattle. It can withstand the rigors of cold temperatures and warm temperatures. And then, as you mentioned, it's got such a delightful um, texture and it's a, it's, you know, it will make your body sing. I mean, it's the best campaign for a fruit that I can remember. Um, we are so lucky to have the banana, especially the Cavendish banana, um, and we take it for granted because it's always there and it's always ready um, whilst everything else is kind of, you know, a bit of hit and miss, maybe besides apples, um, apples and bananas are, you know, the most convenient fruits for us to eat. They're great for us nutritionally. They taste good. Um, but, you know, we don't, we don't see them as being exciting anymore because they're just there every day, right? So um, I definitely am bringing back that love for bananas and apples um, now that you've asked me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I reckon, like, I can chat to my mum who remembers eating her first banana when she was in England and what a revelation it was and how exciting it was, like almost like the whole community would gather around to look at this, this wonder. It's like, you know, when the platypus made its way to England, you know, in someone's, you know, lab coat or whatever. It's just like it is pretty extraordinary. I know there are a lot of issues with bananas and, you know, plantations and disease and we could talk about that for hours as well. But I reckon let's finish on a positive note with an appreciation for bananas and also the perfect avocado because there is no joy like avocado joy
0: there is no joy like avocado joy so thanks danny for having me and yeah i hope the that consumers can just you know have the knowledge to feel confident when they walk into a a, wherever they buy fruit and veg and um see fruit and veg as alive and i think that they'll have much better fruit and veg experiences
1: yeah, we'll love that. And you're certainly helping people along with your book, so yeah, look out for it. Don't buy fruit and veg without me, Tan Trong. Um, awesome to have you on the show, really appreciate it, and yeah, catch you soon. Thanks, Danny. This is Dirty Linen, and I'm Danny Valant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. Hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well.